If you want to turn to Luke chapter 10, the rest of us in here, we made it out of Luke chapter 9. <laughs> you know we started Luke chapter 9 in October. <laughs> we did. Bob did the beginning of Luke chapter 9 at the end of October. We did have a break for Christmas, to be fair, and New Year, didn't we? But we are here. It's a long chapter, but we are now in Luke chapter 10. And I'm going to start by reading straight away. We're just going to read the first 24 verses. So it's quite a large chunk. It will come up on the screen as well. And uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 24. After this, this is Jesus talking to his disciples about the cost of following him. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. <clears throat> and remain in the same house eating and drinking what they provide, for the labourer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Don't worry about this, I'm going to be explaining more, don't worry. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You should be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then, turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. There's a lot to take in, there's a lot that happens, there's a lot that Jesus talks about, and, uh, but it does all tie in together, as you'll see 
shortly. Just to give us the bare bones of what we've just read. That's 24 verses. Just give us a reminder, the bare bones, the structure of what we just read. It starts with Jesus sending out 72 more disciples, which is an exact echo of his sending of the 12 out at the beginning of chapter 9, that, like I say, Bob preached on at the end of October. He sent out the the 12 with uh, particular instructions. This time around, he's doing the same with 72 more disciples. And he says to them, the harvest needs more laborers. The harvest is there for souls to be saved, to be rescued. There's plenty of harvest, need more laborers. Off you go then. (laughs) It's like, you're the laborers. And he says, as you go, look for favorable openings for relationship and for sharing of the good news. But be okay with having to keep looking if you don't find that. But then he immediately says that those places that do reject God's message and God's people, that they're bringing themselves under serious judgment. And so begins his tirade against these uh, places that he lists that have already just been recently rejecting him. That's the first section about this rejection that we'll look at. But then Jesus welcomes the disciples back after they've fulfilled their mission. They come back and they're rejoicing that evil, even evil spiritual entities flee as they operate in Jesus' name. And they're rejoicing about this. But Jesus is quickly, quick to respond by explaining that what they need to actually be rejoicing about is not that they're supernatural superheroes, but simply that they belong to him. And that's the second point we're going to look at. And finally, there's the third section where Jesus then turns this into worship. It says, in the same hour, he rejoices in the Holy Spirit and he prays to his Father, thanking him. And as his heart pours out to his Father in heaven, we discover that the disciples' kingdom bringing and their ability to operate victoriously in the supernatural is all a gift and it's all dependent on him in the first place. And they are blessed as a result. And that is the third thing we're going to look at. To make it easy for you, I've, got, I've done three Bs. Uh, the first one about the rejection, I'll call it the brush-off. We're going to look at the brush-off, when people brush off Jesus and his message, and actually about brushing off his people as well. The brush-off. Secondly, we're going to look at the belonging, what it does mean to belong to him, because it means we get to represent him here on earth. The brush-off, the belonging, and finally the blessing, what it really means to be his, and where it all comes from in the first place, and the privilege of the authority we get to operate in. Three Bs, brush off, belonging, and blessing. First of all, the brush off, rejecting God himself. Because we see here how seriously Jesus takes the situation of his good news being preached and then being rejected. It says in verse 10, he's saying, whenever you enter a town and they don't receive you, proclaim in its streets even your town's dust on our feet we wipe off against you. You should know that the kingdom of God was here. And Jesus continues, he says, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Now, for those of us that are familiar with the Old Testament, Sodom, of course, along with Gomorrah, um, is a place that is renowned for holy judgment. Um, It's because of their corruption, it's because of their carnal excess, and primarily, actually, because of their pride and their gluttony. If you look in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, the primary judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah is because of their pride and their greed. And so Jesus is saying, any town that rejects you because of me, they're they're in a worse position than Sodom. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? So then Jesus, he goes immediately, launches into this listing of places that are local and contemporary to them at the time, towns he's literally just been passing through, 
And he lists them as being in the same boat. He goes, Chorazin, woe to you. Bethsaida, woe to you. Capernaum, you're in trouble. Well, what's, what's on earth has been happening there? Because Jesus has been ministering in these places just recently. He's been passing through. And, um, and as he's been ministering there, um, he's been doing it in compassion. He's been performing wondrous, merciful miracles. And yet their overall reaction to him earns this scathing sermon for their rejection of him. And so he says, even Tyre and Sidon wouldn't have done that. Now again, Tyre and Sidon, who are these places? We can see in the likes of, in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel chapter 23 onwards, and Joel chapter 3, we discover that Tyre and Sidon were, hundreds of years earlier, they were historically, they were places known for their greed, there it is again, for oppressive and abusive behaviour, for their self-absorption and for their pride. You see a pattern emerging here. So Jesus is saying that these North Galilee towns that he's just been passing through and had rejected him, they were more in trouble with the Holy God than these historically evil locations. Why? Because God himself had literally just been walking amongst them. His love and mercy on full display in jaw-dropping wonders. And they'd gone, nah. So we must never forget that amidst Jesus' incredible, rightly trumpeted love and grace and kindness, we must never forget that his holiness and his righteous indignation are equally fundamental to who he is. He is an unchanging God. Hebrews 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He does not change. And he and the Father are one. And God himself is described as being immutable. That means unchangeable. That doesn't mean unchanging. He doesn't change. It means he cannot change. Immutable, impossible to mutate. He cannot even change. It's always the same, yesterday and today and forever. And so, the God who, as we see in the, in the Old Testament, for example, gets rightly indignant about his people going awry and his holy name being slandered, he's the same God who walked amongst us as a generous-hearted, compassionate servant. Same God, unchangeable. That's not a conundrum. That, as much as that is a 3D technicolor perspective of the Most High God. You see, you get the, the God of the Old Testament, who is often seen to be bristling with judgment. Um, is, is also discovered in the likes of uh, in the Old Testament books like Hosea and Ezekiel and Isaiah. We discover that this same God, often bristling with judgment, is the same one who simultaneously loves beyond our imagination. And therefore, this is the same God of the New Testament who cares and heals and gives of himself and is still very much zealous for the sake of his holy name and for justice to be accomplished and for his presence to not be dismissed. Which includes today's tirade from Jesus. Jesus, meek, turning the other cheek, weeping over cities and over individuals. That's the, God, the unchangeable God of the Bible. But also Jesus, the mighty ruler, who scolds and judges those who think they don't need him while they revel in their blind pride and greed. That's the God of the Bible. That's my Jesus. It's the same God, unchangeable, always good and always holy. It's not a personality change. You know, some people we meet, you end up treading on eggshells around them because they can turn on a pin. They're lovely one minute and then they're kicking off. Oh, got that wrong. Did I say the wrong thing? 
And if you've not met any of those people, just check it's not you. <laughs> Worth a check, isn't it? But you know the kind of people I'm describing. They always have this personality change, like dual personality. This, that's not what's going on here. Here is a God who loves so deeply and so perfectly that he takes it seriously when we think we know better. So we just need to ask the question, do I take God seriously enough? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? Do I brush him off? Do I just turn to him when, only when I think I need him? Do I brush him off or do I receive him for who he is? He takes us and our sin seriously enough. Do we take him seriously enough? Good question to ask. That's the brush off. But what about the belonging? What does it mean to belong to him? Because it means we get to represent God himself as a result. Because here, we've got the 72 An extra 72 disciples are sent out in pairs. The the 12 disciples were Jesus' closest friends and confidants and and chosen leaders. But there's the wider community, and they're now being invited uh, to dive in and play an equal part in the mission too. Mission is not for the select few. Mission is for all of God's children. And to belong to Christ means to partner with him in his unfolding plans for this world. We are not bystanders. Now, we can relegate ourselves to the benches by choice sometimes, can't we? We can decide to abdicate. But Jesus' intention for us is to play an active part. He said, the harvest is out there. The labourers are few. Off you go then. (laughs) You're the labourers. And this partnering is not... It's not standing next to him watching him do all the hard stuff. Well, he, he does get to do this. We don't save. He does the saving, but he does it through us. It's not standing next to him watching. It's not just holding the tools like a five-year-old while dad fixes the car engine. Pass me the 10 mil spanner. It's actively rolling up our sleeves and being his means to exact change as he works through us by Holy Spirit. That's partnership. Just think of that. God himself inviting us into that kind of partnership. That's the reality. Jesus didn't even tell the 72 to watch him as he goes. He told them to go ahead of him on his behalf. Go into the places I'm about to go. You go ahead of me. You herald me. And so just as in the beginning, in Genesis, as God made man in his image, bearing his likeness, representing him as stewards on earth, but us as his redeemed people now, we get to do that to its fullest, representing God himself in the natural and in the supernatural realms. Turn to two Corinthians, to many of us, I'm sure, but 2 Corinthians 5 from verse 17. So let's look at these verses. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, to pass it on. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. 
If anyone is in Christ, they're a what? New creation. And any new creation, therefore, gets to be an ambassador. Who here is in Christ? You are a new creation. Therefore, you are an ambassador. You're an ambassador for Christ. There are no exceptions. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation and therefore are an ambassador. And an ambassador is an appointed representative. During uh, the Reagan administration, Ronald Reagan was the president of the United States in the 80s. And uh, his secretary of state had a large globe in his office. And every time he received in a brand new ambassador, or one who just returned from their first um, time of deployment in, their, in their, the, the nation they'd been sent to, Every time he'd receive them in his office, they'd have a meeting. On the way out, they'd pass this large globe. And he'd say to them, show me your country. And they'd have a rummage around and find Thailand or Germany, UK, Canada, France, whichever. And they'd go, all right, okay, yeah, well done, thank you. At least you know where it is. But he knew they were missing the point until one of them got it. And on the way out, he said, show me your country. And this guy rummaged around, pointed to the USA. That's my country. He got it. He got it because... To be, to be an ambassador means you belong to another nation that you are representing somewhere else. And to be Christ's, we are ambassadors for another nation, for another king. To belong to Christ means to represent him and his country, if you like. We have been deployed here on earth, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we represent the king of another world. That's who we are as ambassadors. Every single one of you who is in Christ is an ambassador. We are representing the king of, a, of another nation, of another world. And that, therefore, has cosmic implications as we go about our business. So Jesus says, before they go, back in Luke 10, before they go, in verse uh, 16, he says, the one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. This is a jaw-dropping privilege of what it means to belong to Jesus, that people who reject us because we represent him, because we're his, are rejecting God himself. That's massive. Let's think about that for a minute. Anyone who rejects you because you're Christ, rejecting God himself. Uh, uh, Prince William and Kate's wedding in 2011, wasn't it, I think? But just before the wedding, they uninvited the Syrian ambassador. They uninvited him. Now, the poor bloke, he, he hadn't done anything wrong. But the problem was they were concerned, William and Kate were concerned at the time of how Syria was treating her citizens during the ongoing civil war. So they uninvited the ambassador. That was not a message to him as an individual. That was a message to the nation that he represented. It's the same way. So the weighty truth of this for us as well. How people treat you because of your standing in Christ is literally their position before God himself. What Jesus is saying, whoever rejects you because of me, rejects me. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. So for just for a moment, close your eyes. And ask another question. I love, you know I love questions. No? Let's ask yourself, do I live my everyday life as if I'm representing God himself? 
Not a, this isn't a guilt trip. This is just a, a grasping of the truth, if that makes sense. Do I live my everyday life as if I'm representing God himself? And therefore, do I recognize the difference I can bring to a room or to a situation whenever I operate in partnership with him? This is not meant to give you pressure. This is meant to be releasing. He's working through us. It's not in our strength, it's in his. Do I live my everyday life as if I'm representing God himself? For you are in Christ, you are an ambassador for him. Which brings me to my final point, my third B, the blessing. What it means to be his. There's something to rejoice in. Because the, the disciples, as they return from their mission, they're rejoicing about being miracle workers. When in, in fact, they, instead, they should be marveling simply because they belong to Jesus in the first place. Jesus is quick to berate them gently. He does it gently. But he's, he's quick to make sure that they don't focus on the wrong things. They're getting excited about having influence over demons, which to them is a novelty. It makes them feel powerful, stories to tell the grandkids, but it's missing the, the point of it entirely. It's because they're operating in Jesus' name that any of that's happening in the first place. Because they're acting in Jesus' authority, that is ample evidence enough that they've not earned a penny in having any influence over demons. And the same goes for us. You and I, if you've committed to following him and so discovered freedom and his forgiveness, you're an ambassador on earth. And therefore, you and I, we get the privilege of operating in his authority in bringing supernatural change as well as natural. And so, you and I have the, the wonder of performing acts of kindness on his behalf, but also the likes of commanding evil spirits to flee in Jesus' name whenever they make themselves known. It's a reality. Now, this isn't something we talk about much in this Western modern society outside of some films. <laughs> uh, but demons have been buried by secular reasoning and are considered not for modern times. But they are still very real and they love the fact that they get to operate in stealth mode because they're not being looked for. They are not something that's lost in history, nor are they merely a metaphor or a literary device. They are very real. And Jesus clearly acknowledges and responds to evil spirits and Satan himself in this passage as being real personalities, actual beings, not abstract metaphors, and therefore we should too. And in fact, between us here, I know we've got a number of stories where we've operated in the supernatural realm, in the authority of Jesus' name, and dealt with evil spirits. Jenny and I have done that in people's homes where things have been happening and our friend's daughter was physically lifted off her bed one night by her chest and dropped back, back onto the bed. They, thankfully, they knew who to turn to for help. We went around there, shared the gospel with them, prayed over them. Never happened again. It's real. We don't need to be fearful of it when we know Christ. And in fact, we need to operate in it because we know Christ. The place to bring freedom to people who have no other option. There is no other solution to it other than the power of Jesus' name. So with Jesus as Lord of all principalities and realms as he is, we don't need to be fearful and we have his authority to put these demons in their rightful place at the bottom of the food chain. Now, I know that is still, that's a notion that can still be quite alien to many of us in the church, in the modern church. You're just thinking, I don't consider myself to have much influence in the spiritual realm. 
I'll let, I'll let the experts worry about that. But every single one of us, if you're an ambassador, you have the authority of his name. As far as Jesus is concerned, it should be a normal thing for us. I'm not saying go look for, looking for demons under every stone. I'm not saying that at all. But if there's hints and clues or something like that going on, you can just deal with it quietly in Jesus' name. We don't need to shout, come up with clever mantras, anything like that. But in my experience, when you're dealing with deliverance, the more you shout, the more they shout back. Just do it quietly and it's done. You don't need Latin, like the film seem to think. <laughs> just in the power of Jesus' name, be gone. That's all you need. But what has happened, therefore, to the church for us to not think like that and not operate like that enough? I'll suggest, from personal experience too, I'll suggest it's the fact that we just haven't fully grasped the fact of who we are now that we belong to him. We're ambassadors. And I'm not just talking about evil spirits. I don't want to focus on that because Jesus says, don't, don't focus on that. Just focus on the fact that your names are written in heaven. <laughs> That's what we need to bring this back to. This is also about just situations in general, relationships, breakthroughs, bringing peace in the storms, bringing wisdom during turmoil, justice for the oppressed, salvation for the lost. The more we grasp the fact that our names are written in heaven forever, unwaveringly, the more we'll operate in his authority here on earth and the more we'll see it making great inroads for the gospel to take root, for lives to be transformed, for, for Christ to be famous, for evil spirits to flee, but also for the broken to be made whole and for the oppressed to find freedom. This is who we are and this is how we get to operate because of him. We are his ambassadors here on earth. We are here to go. We are here to operate in his authority and to exact change in his name. Amen? Amen. And so Jesus, right at the end, I'm coming to the end now, but right at the end, verse 23, Jesus says, simply, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Church, I think we just need to take those words to heart. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. So I'm just going to ask more questions as we finish, just to help us reflect as we come to pray and as we come to sing our songs, as we come to focus on him, let him speak through us. just need to ask, have I been brushing God off? Have I been pushing, pushing him away, sweeping him under the carpet effectively in our lives? Have I been doing that? Do I take God seriously enough? Because he takes me seriously enough. Have I been brushing God off? Or have I really fully grasped what it means to belong to him? Have I stepped into the truth of what it means to be his, to represent him here on earth, to be his ambassador in whichever room I find myself in? In the workplace, in the home, in the neighborhood, whatever it might be. Have I fully grasped the blessing of what it means to belong to him? And how can I put that into action this week? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that our salvation and our standing is not because of a thing we've done, but it's because of everything you've done. Lord, help us, even this morning, just to rejoice in the fact that our names are written in heaven. that we belong to you. 
that our names are graven on your hand. God himself. And you invite us into incredible partnership with you to move in your authority, in your name, to see change on this earth for your glory. Lord, help us to not relegate ourselves to the benches, but to step forward into what you've got in store for us. Each day we get up, each week ahead of us. To not be fearful, to not be reticent, to not be lazy, but to step forward in what you've prepared for us. You're telling us to go, the harvest is plenty. And you're asking us to go, not in our strength, but in yours. So will you just help us to do that? Each of us knows our weak spots. Each of us knows what we can be liable to to abdicate from. Help us to have just the boldness just to step forward in, in your grace and in your strength. To see mighty things done. Not for stories to tell the grandkids, but for your name to be glorified and Jesus to be famous and souls to be saved. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.